You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Awesome. People call those Bible stories. I just realized that's not a story. That's an event. That really happened. I love that one, right? That just the, the Jesus' power to walk on water and Peter's courage to get out. And then just with the picture, he was afraid, grabbed onto Jesus, and everything was okay. I love that one. That's a great one. Um, it actually goes together with my sermon a little bit here today, too. So um, today, it, we're in the middle of the series about the Beatitudes, the blessed of the Bible, the, if you are this, you are blessed kind of thing. Um, and we're on the third one today. Uh, it's if you're meek, that, that's the, the story. So I want to ask you guys um, if you're familiar with Chuck Norris. All right, Chuck Norris, everybody know him, the action hero from... Uh, martial artist first and action hero from like the 80s. Some of you guys are too young for that. Maybe you've seen his movies afterwards, okay? Well, he turned 80 this year. I couldn't believe that. He's 80 years old. I'm old too now, I realize. That's what happens that way. But uh, 80 years old. Here's his picture. Guys, put that picture up. That's Chuck Norris at 80. I look way closer to 80 than that guy does, right? So whatever, a little just for men kind of thing. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, he looks great for his age, right? But here's some pictures of him in his prime. That's the tough guy, Chuck Norris, right? That, that, he, was, he was a bad man, right? And you know, I, in my childhood, he was one of the icons of, uh, you know, just he's, he's the guy who, who, got, who took care of business. He's so tough. He was so tough. He probably still is. So tough, there's a whole line of jokes and memes about him. You've probably seen some of them. I got to share some, right, just to get, get you in the spirit of this. Once, a cobra bit Chuck Norris. A few days later, the cobra died, OK? The dark is afraid of Chuck Norris. And a corollary to that, when the boogeyman goes to bed at night, he checks his closet for Chuck Norris. All right, yeah, you guys are getting it now, right? The theory of evolution is not real. All that's left are the animals that Chuck Norris let live. That's how that works, okay? Another corollary to that, Chuck Norris once kicked a horse in the chin. We know its descendants is the giraffe. Yeah, that's how tough Chuck Norris is, right? When Chuck Norris was born, the only person who cried was the doctor. Never slapped Chuck Norris, right? One more. I, got, I could do this all day, right? But one more. Very appropriate to our time. Chuck Norris was exposed to the coronavirus. The virus is now in quarantine. That's how tough Chuck Norris is, okay? So why am I talking about Chuck Norris up here? Well, again, like I told you, he's like the icon of tough, toughness from my day, right? And I heard a story about him. I found out later on, after I, I thought he was so tough, he's actually a Christian. He became a Christian later in life after a lot of those movies. Um, but he was still, uh, still a tough guy. He became a Christian. And I heard this story about it. I'm like, wow, this really fits in with what I'm talking about today, okay? So picture this, bad dude kicks everybody, you know, wastes them in movies, did it in real life too. That's, that's one of the things that's tough about him is he did it in real life first. Um, so this is a story I read. Several years ago, Chuck Norris, the actor and martial artist expert, who's also a Christian, had finished a long day of acting in a Texas town and had gone out to dinner. While he was sitting in the restaurant, a man came up to him and said, hey, you're sitting in my booth. Norris didn't like his tone, but he just got up and quietly moved to another booth. A few minutes later, the man came back to him and said, uh, you're Chuck Norris, aren't you? He agreed, I am Chuck Norris. The man said, you could have totally kicked me around the restaurant, and you didn't. He's like, Chuck, Chuck said, yeah, true, why don't you sit down, we'll talk. And he proceeded to make friends with him, and you know, that kind of thing. So the reason I, I tell that story today is because our, our, our beatitude is from Matthew 5, 5. It's, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that, guys, is a perfect example of meekness, okay? So um, the idea of what meekness is about is, uh, 
not what most people think. So today I want to talk to you, there, there's a couple of things we need to look through in this verse. We need to talk about what meekness is, and then what does it mean to inherit the earth, right? And I'll kind of fill in some of those blanks for you. So I'm going to start off with what meekness means, okay? The, the idea of um, what, what we're supposed to get out of that, because we don't use that word very much anymore, right? That's not a, a word that our culture uses. In fact, there's some uh, probably misconceptions about what it means in, in today's, in today's uh, culture. Um, so there's some old sayings about it from, you know, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard some of these sayings, I would imagine. Uh, meekness is not weakness, is one of the things you'll hear. And a, a good definition, I think it is a good one, is meekness is power restrained. Okay, and these old sayings stick around for a reason. There's some validity to them. There's some some real uh, real meaning behind that. Um, and I would add to that a little bit just to help you understand uh, that the that meekness is not just power restrained, but power restrained for use to do things for God. I think that that would be a a full definition of of meekness in our culture for us, right? Um, so apparently in Jesus' day, the, uh, the, that word that he used for meekness had use in other contexts. See, he wasn't just you know, throwing out an, an adjective or whatever, but he was using a word that people knew. And a couple of those uses actually give very good light to what that means. Uh, one of them would be, uh, it was used to talk about a horse that's been trained for, uh, been broken, been trained for, for use as a, an animal, been domesticated. Okay, so consider that, right? A horse that's untrained, those, they're powerful. Horses running wild can do a lot of damage. I mean, just think about a cavalry charge, how much they, and there was, those are trained horses, right? You know, the, the knights with the lance, it wasn't just the knight, it was the horse too. They were running over people. Okay, so they're very powerful animals. But once we train them and, and, use, and train them how to use that and, and we help them understand, then carry a rider all day, right? They can pull wagons and things. The power they have is immense but it's restrained and channeled towards a, uh, a good use. So that, that's one thing those people understood, was that idea. Another usage was in sailing, okay? So the term meekness there was used by sailors to talk about a gentle, favorable breeze, one that took your boat where you wanted to go. Okay, again, thinking in terms of wind, wind that's just ha you know, haphazard crazy does a lot of damage. Think about storms and hurricanes, right? The, we've, seen, we've all seen the pictures of the damage they do. But a wind that is channeled in the right direction, not by people, but you know, it's, a, it's one that's moving in the right direction, very useful to us. So those, those are the terms that Jesus was using to these people in the crowd. He wasn't talking about curling up and sucking your thumb, right? That wasn't meekness as we probably understand it. We understand meek probably is, oh, don't, don't hurt me, please, kind of thing, right? That, that's the typical picture a person in our culture would get from meekness, but that's not what Jesus was saying. He was talking about the concept of having power but having it channeled in the right direction and used appropriately. So that hopefully will help you understand uh, you know, kind of where he was coming from, that he wasn't, he wasn't trying to tell us to lay down and not fight. He was telling us to use your power the way God wants you to, to use it accordingly. Um, so I, I find it helpful. I, I used Chuck Norris already, but I find it helpful to have examples of people that are um, you know, trying to we can see them, how they exhibited the characteristics that we are talking about. So I have some examples from the Bible for us that, that can help us see what meekness looks like, right? We, we often, as people, need to see it played out in front of us for us to understand. Think about how you learn. You may learn by someone showing you how to do it, and then you follow in their footsteps kind of thing. That a lot of people learn that way, okay? So uh, the, the most obvious one is Jesus, right? He's, 
He was called meek uh, in the scriptures. I mean, clearly he had power. Actually, he had power to walk on water, we saw earlier, right? He had power in a, in a mundane way. He was able to just walk into the temple and clear it out. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to run a whole bunch of people making money out of a place they were making money, but that's not easy to do. And he did it, right? And I don't know that it was anything supernatural. He had a whip and he was chasing them out. He, it may be something supernatural, I don't know. But certainly it looked like he was just chasing and clearing people out. Okay? He had miraculous power as well, right? We saw it walking on water. I think at the time, as I referenced earlier, the, the storms, right? He stood in a boat in a storm and said, peace be still. And that happened. Wow, that's power, right? Um, and, and in either case, in any, any circumstances like that, you can find a place where we know Jesus had power. Yet, during the night of his trial, the abuse he took, not a word. Didn't do a thing. Hung on a cross. People throwing insults at him. He was dying. Scripture tells us he could have done all kinds of stuff to take care of that, right? A host of angels that it could have taken care of for him. Didn't. In fact, said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. I don't know about you guys, but that wouldn't have been me. I'll be honest with you. How, how, that's amazing to me, the, the meekness, the, the channeling of his power. Why was he doing it? He was obeying the Father, and he was doing it for us so that we could have a relationship and have eternal life, right? He, he restrained his power and used, um, he didn't use it. He restrained it completely and, and let God's plan come through, right? You know, that, that's just amazing to me. Now, that's a pretty tough standard. That's our standard, right? Our standard is Jesus. We need to live like that. But it's hard to live up to those things when we see that. I, I tell you what, you guys put me on a cross right now for no reason, and I got a SWAT team outside, y'all are getting swatted. <laughs> I'm coming down, right? That's not going to happen. But Jesus knew what's going on, right? He did, he did the, the thing that, that we're supposed to do. So that's hard to live up to, and I understand that. So um, we have that as our goal. But you know what? We can do it as people, too. I want to go to some of the non-God examples in the Bible. right? It's easy to hold up Jesus as our example, and we need to strive for that. But we can do it as people, too. And there's several people in the Bible that exhibited this. Um, Abraham, okay, is the example for Abraham. I would, one thing with examples I just realized I want to tell you guys, when you hold up people as examples, you got to be careful because their whole life is not perfect. We can't look at these guys and say, Abraham is the best guy ever, always do what Abraham did because he screwed up a lot. In fact, everybody I'm going to tell you about screwed up a lot, okay? What I'm doing is holding out an example of the time they did it right so that you can see that people can do these things. Okay, that, that's what I'm doing for you. So make sure that we don't hold up our, our Old Testament or New Testament, any biblical figures as uh, the way we always have to live, because if you're going to always, you got to always, and they messed up too. Don't do those, right? you got to understand that. So Abraham, um, when, when he and his family came into the Promised Land, they, they started living, and he brought his nephew Lot with him, and after a while, their servants started to clash about who was getting what water and whatever other things. You can read the story. They had a lot of issues with each other. So Abraham, uh, in that culture, head of the family, what he said went, no doubt, could have said, yo, Lot, get out of here. Didn't, right? What he said was, you know what, Lot? Take what you want. Go ahead. And Lot took the best plot, right? He took the best, best place in, in the promised land. Abraham, keeping peace in the family, let him do that, took second place, moved on and went to his own place, and was, they were both happy, right? They were both, the pro promised land was promised for a reason. There was a lot of good places there. But Abraham didn't feel the need to take the primary spot. He stepped back and let Lot do that. He was meek. He withheld what he could have done and let Lot have what was uh, good for Lot, in theory. Now, Lot's story, of course, came to a bad end, but that's part of the, the process of don't follow everything they do, right? But Abraham is an example of not demanding his own and going first, okay? He was meek. 
Moses, another example. In fact, Moses in Numbers 12.3 was called, I'm going to read this to you here, he was called very meek, more than, all more than all people who were on the face of the earth. So there's your standard, right? Moses in his time was the meekest man, okay? Um, we know he had a temper and he had some power. He killed that Egyptian guard that was messing with the Hebrew slaves, right? He, he killed a man and took it out on him and then he had to run away. Now what we see there is that Moses then, his pendulum kind of swung 180 degrees the other direction, right? He went from being powerful and killing guys to telling God, oh, I can't do that because I can't speak in public, right? That, that probably is the example of meek that we think of. Oh, no, please not meek, right? That's kind of how, how we would view meek, and that's not meek. That was actually, I, I, I'll use the words probably not as strongly as they should be. He was kind of cowardly. He was kind of afraid and didn't do what God wanted him to do. He eventually did, right? He made it work out. And, you know, as he then dealt with all that and went and followed, uh, followed God, did what he needed to do, and then had to traipse through the wilderness with his disobedient people, we see there, that's where Moses was called meek, was when he was dealing with those folks, okay? And if you read those stories, it's, you know, basically three or four books of the Bible, these stories of the, the Exodus and all that. Um, the, you see Moses, time after time, being um, challenged by his people, watching them disobey, all kinds of things that happen. And, and what we see out of there is Moses learning the, the concept of gentle power, of being able to direct them where they needed to go without hammering them, and really, at the end, letting God do all of the hammering, which is what we should be doing. That's, you'll see that as a kind of, kind of a conclusion for me today, is God does what he needs to do. We need to just follow with him. But Moses was called meek in that. And, and particularly the, the, the verse I referenced in Numbers, he was being challenged by a bunch of people who said, who are you to speak for God? And actually, Moses let Miriam and Aaron do the talking, and then God did the doing and killed some folks for challenging God's authority. So... Um, that's, that's where Mo Moses was called meek, was where he let God do the stuff that needed to be done. He restrained his own abilities and, and did what he needed to do. Um, and the third example I want to give you is a contrast between Saul and David. Okay? Again, both of those guys were really screwed up. However, they did give us some examples we can learn from. In fact, David, by the end, was called the man after God's own heart. Right? So even though David screwed up a lot, we can learn from his life. So the contrast I want to show you, there's a lot of them in their lives, actually, but the one particular that's an easy one to see is Saul's attitude towards David versus David's attitude towards Saul. Saul was king, and he was willing to kill David when David um, was, really, it was a, a, a jealousy, like a popularity. He wanted to kill him because he was more popular. Uh, David was a good servant, a good soldier, did what he was told to do, um, never challenged Saul in any way but became popular because he was winning victories. Saul got mad and tried to kill him, okay? That was, that was his <laughs> approach to, to his power. I don't like it, I'm gonna kill him, okay? On the other hand, David, while being hunted by Saul, while, while Saul was trying to kill him, David had the opportunity to kill Saul. He had him indisposed. If you know the story, you know what I'm talking about, right? He had the ability to get him, and all he did was cut a corner off his cloak and run away. Right, to later show Saul, see, listen, I killed you, right? I didn't. I'm not trying to kill you. I don't want to harm the Lord's anointed. He wasn't being aggressive. And by that time, David had been chosen to be king, and he knew that. And he, he did not push his claim, okay? In fact, he, he, as you read it, he kind of felt bad even about cutting the cloak off. He didn't even want to embarrass his king, all right? Totally different approach to life. Saul was not meek. He grabbed what he wanted, and he was going to kill the guys that tried to take it from him. And David, although he knew his future wasn't trying to usurp. He stayed back and let God do his thing. So, so those guys are a, 
good example for meekness. Abraham and not grabbing the first best plot. Moses and not knocking people off that he could have because he was in charge. He let God do it. And David for stepping back from what he knew was going to be his destiny. He knew he was going to be king. Not trying to make that happen on his own, letting God work that out. Those are, those are all really good examples of meekness. Um, so hopefully that can set a picture for you about how we're supposed to live as being meek as Christians. Now, one of the things that Sean, and he, when he started the Beatitude series, it, he really, it, it struck home with me how he talked about how this is really one person. It's not a bunch of individual Christians that are like this, people who follow Christ, you get to be the meek one, you get to be the mourner, that kind of thing. That, I had never really thought that through, which, you know, it's good to be challenged and, and rethink things, right? If you've read it a few times, sometimes you get it stale and you don't listen, but, you know, that, that was a good thought. To, this is really, all, all of these things are things that we all should have in our lives. So that got me thinking about it. As we, we look at these Beatitudes, I, I realize meekness ties in with a lot of these very easily. And I want to just take a minute, just a little blurb on each one. I'm not going to preach through all the Beatitudes, right? But I, I want us to just think about this for a second. So as we've done the couple that we've done, and as we go forward, you can see they really do tie together. All right. So the first beatitude that we looked at was the poor in spirit. Okay. And honestly, this one does kind of drive through all of it. If you don't have that concept of being poor or bankrupt in spirit, where you don't have anything else to offer God, you, you know, you're, you've got nothing to offer Him. He's He's everything. If you don't have that, most of these other things aren't going to work out either. Particularly meekness is an easy one to see. I think. Right. If you don't have a, a broken heart and know that you're um, you're not sufficient then you're probably going to be anti-meek. You're probably going to be aggressive. I want to get, I want to get, uh, that kind of thing. So that, that's somewhat of an easy one to see the, the correlation. I think if you look through all of them, poor in spirit, it's easy to see in all of them. It, it really is a, a good foundation for all that. Last week we heard about mourning, okay? The idea of godly mourning and being you know, sorrowful for the, what sin's done in the world. And if you're not meek and restraining who you are and, and you're... you're uh, you know, desire to be first amongst everything, then any sense of grieving or loss, anything that sets you back, is probably going to lead in one of two unhealthy directions. You're either going to get very depressed because you can't do anything about it, or very angry and in a rage because this isn't the way it ought to be, right? And none of that is godly, right? Our godly mourning is not that way. So um, if we don't have that meekness, we're not going to be able to approach this the right way. Then after this, we're going to hear about the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And again, if you aren't uh, putting yourself in the second place here, if you're, you're, you're in the driver's chair, you're not meek, then uh, you probably wouldn't recognize righteousness if he punched you, punched you in the nose, right? You're going to be out there looking for your own self instead of thinking about what's right in God's eyes. And uh, you, won't, you won't even know what it means, let alone hunger and thirst for it. So I think that's another one that's pretty, pretty straightforward. Amongst all of them, the next one's merciful. This is, I think, the easiest one to see the connection with meekness. Uh, to be merciful, you got to think about the other guy, right? You got to think about who you are, which is not in first place. I'm, I'm not any better than that guy. And then you got to think about giving him a break, right? So that one's an easy one. If you're not meek, you're going to be looking for revenge instead of being merciful. That's a, that's an easy one. Next one's pure in heart. Probably not so easy. Uh, that that was tougher for me to kind of put together. Um, did a little bit of reading on that one, tried to figure it out. Um, so what I came up with, and you can kind of figure this one out too, I don't know if it works for you or not, but if you're not meek, if your heart isn't, uh, you know, kind of stepping back from things and saying, you know, God's the one that's in charge, not me, then your needs and desires are going to get mixed in with whatever you do 
do for God. It's gonna be mixed in and you're gonna learn the pure, lose the purity, right? You won't be pure in heart, you'll be, your heart will be mingled in with what God wants you to do. So I think that, that's how I was able to reconcile those two. I don't know if it's a great explanation or not, but doing the best I can kind of thing, right? Because I do think there is a tie for all of these. Uh, the next one's peacemakers. Uh, again, I think that's a pretty easy connection. If, um, if we're not restrained in thinking about other folks and putting God first, then you know, peace isn't very, I mean, that's almost a necessity for peace, right? Is to be able to, to think about the other guy and work things out and make it, make it uh, amenable to everybody, that kind of thing. Um, so that, that one flows pretty well. And the last of the Beatitudes, Sean's gonna combine two things into one, I think. The, the idea is persecuted for righteousness sake. Um, and this needs to go back, I think, to the, the idea of meekness isn't weakness kind of thing, right? If you restrain yourself from always demanding your way, you're likely to get the short end of the stick in some, some interactions with people, right? You're going to lose those. That's going to happen. And when we start thinking about, for righteousness sake, if we're in the middle of things, uh, a conflict or disagreement or whatever, and then trying to you know, think of the other guy, Lots of times, because we're having a Christian perspective, we're going to get persecuted for that. We're going to have issues on that sense. So I, I think if you take a moment and just kind of scan through these, every time we do one of these Beatitudes, you can look at the other ones and say, yeah, there is a connection. This isn't just random thoughts thrown out there. there there's a purpose to Jesus piling these all together and, and letting us think about these are how we're blessed. These are how we're happy. These attitudes will get us living the life that, that God wants us to live. So um, I think that's a useful exercise to do that. Um, the final piece of what I want to talk about today is the second part of the sentence from Matthew 5.5, 5, the meek shall inherit the earth. So what does it mean to inherit the earth? That is a challenging question, right? And as I read about this, there seems to be two schools of thought. One is that Jesus was talking literally about the actual land. Um, the, the crowd there would have understood that to mean the promised land. Um, that currently occupied by the Romans at their time, right? And one could expand that by the word he used easily to the entire earth. It wasn't a uh, direct statement of you shall have the land of Israel at this latitude and longitude. It was the land and earth, right? And um, certainly we're promised as followers of Christ a new heavens and a new heaven and new earth, right? That's all there. And, uh, you know, it's going to now we'll dwell in it. Yeah, I believe that's true, very clearly. I'm just not sure it works here specifically because the meeker promised the earth, to inherit the earth. Those promises about the new heavens and the new earth are for all followers of Christ. We're all going to get that. Now, should we all be meek? Yes. Will we all manage that? Probably not, right? So I, I think there's something more specific going on here rather than just you're inheriting the land. Um, and that's where the other school of thought kind of leads. And as you do some studying on this as I had to to preach, right? It, it's widely understood by everybody that, that thinks through this is Jesus is referring to Psalm 3711 because he's quoting it. <laughs> it's, it's pretty clear. Um, and I'll read that for you in a second. Um, actually, here it is. Go ahead and put that up, guys. It says, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Okay, so it, it's understood that Jesus was um, referencing that scripture to the people he was talking to. But there's a but in the beginning of that sentence. Okay, when you see that, you realize we came in the middle of an idea, and that's never a fair way to explain yourself or to analyze anybody's discussion. You can't start in the middle of their idea. So I just want to back up one verse so you can see the full sentence of what Jesus was talking about, right? So if we go back, there's another slide, guys, to verse 10. It says, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land 
and delight themselves in abundant peace. So there we get some context, right? Um, that context is going to place this in a, in a dilemma of uh, people living in a world that's not so nice, right? Bunch of people doing a bunch of bad things. Nothing's happening to them. They're getting over on everybody, and we feel that injustice. That's where that's coming from, okay? Our flesh says, our non-meekness says, get after it. Take them down. Get what's right, right? Go get your own. Make them pay, that kind of thing. But God says, right, that's, that's our flesh, and our flesh is not to be listened to in these circumstances, if ever, okay? De Deuteronomy 32, God says, venges his mind, says the Lord, and recompense. That's translated by Paul in Romans as, and I will pay them back. Because recompense isn't a word we understand, right? That's a, that's a weird word. But what he's saying is, what God's saying there, vengeance is mine, I'll take care of it, and they will get theirs. Okay? And that's the lesson we need to get from this. In fact, I want to read a few verses of Psalm 37 to you. Uh, I, I think you'll get the gist. I'm just going to read a few. You, you, you want the story, read the whole thing, and you'll get the picture clearly where it's coming from. So let me read a few verses here. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. They're not on the screen. I'm, I'm sorry, I should have told you that. They're not on the screen. Uh, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So there's the story, right? Don't worry about the bad guys. Trust in God. And the psalm goes on. I'll, I'll read a little bit more for you. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice in the morning. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. That's the story of the whole psalm. And that's where Jesus is going to tell these people this, right? His, his message to them was, I know that bad people do bad stuff, but you be meek. You don't take that path. You trust me, and you'll inherit the earth, right? You'll get all the things you need. So I, I think what we're seeing out of this, this is my take on it, if we're meek and let him handle stuff, those who are the problem, they're going to be dealt with. Now, it might not be on our schedule, and that's the, that's the rub for us. We like to have things now, right? Every, every generation, things are moving faster and faster. And, you know, you look back at uh, people at the turn of the... 1900s or the 1900s, they would look at my generation and say, "You guys are babies. You want everything this fast." And I look at the next generation down; they want it even faster, right? We all—it's happened throughout history. It's not the way God works, right? We have to—we're on His schedule, and we have to deal with that. But if if we can see that, if we can take that, we'll have the peace we're looking for. All these all these discussions, all the all the psalm here that I was quoting, Jesus's idea is that it will come to pass on my schedule that everything will be right and that you will have peace, and you will have the land to live in, and it will be good. This, guys, is really a lesson on trusting God to take care of us, right? That if we don't grab things for ourselves, he'll take care of us. And that's the message we need to get on that, okay? So we have to apply this to our lives. If we look at this and don't deal with how it looks for us today, we're just an academic exercise. So we need to think about how, do, how does that look today? How do I live meekly today? And I think it's probably easier to talk a little bit about what it's not Okay, it's easier to find examples of what's not meek and then try to live differently. Um, an easy one would be, you know, not being the guy that takes the largest cookie on the plate before everyone else can get it, or not being the first in line to grab the biggest piece of pizza. Right? Th those are easy examples. That's actually kind of low-hanging fruit, because we all look at that behavior and go kind of like, 
you know, it, it rubs us when that happens, that kind of thing. And, and we look at ourselves doing it, we go, uh, it's not so, so nice. Hopefully we do, maybe we don't. Maybe that's a lesson for you, okay? Um, but that, that's an easy one. We all recognize that sort of behavior. Um, what we need to think about is how does this apply to how we behave, not just in clear circumstances, but in foggy ones and stuff that we're not so sure about. How we relate to each other is really where it needs to matter, because that's where it's going to change. How we're looking out for others instead of ourselves, how we're putting ourselves in, second, in the second place. Um, and, and you can think of many many, your, your relationships with each other. Guys, you don't always have to be right when you're having a disagreement. Right? That, that's an easy place to see it, that you, you keep arguing until you, get, you either get your point or the other guy gives in. That's not meek. That's annoying. <laughs> And I know because I live that. That's me, all right? So, um, you know, you, 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 there's ways that we can make this real in our lives about not, not grabbing to be the first at stuff. And that is easy to see in the stuff that we despise. It's harder to see when it's us doing it. So you got you to figure that out, okay? Um, and I, I, I couldn't go by this in the context of what's going on in, in our world today. I, I would love to. I'd love to avoid these conversations. But it seems to me that the meek don't demand their rights in ways that harm other people either, okay? I have to say, burning things, breaking stuff, stealing other people's goods, hurting people, threatening to hurt people, none of that is meek, guys, right? Those that do those things in our day right now, they're probably not claiming to be meek, so I'm not telling them anything they don't know, but as, as followers of Christ, we gotta think about that, right? As we look at that, we have to be cautious how we handle stuff of that nature, those, those kind of uh, disagreements our society is having. We have to think about how to do that well. And I will say, I think there's some valid points there. There, there are some valid points that need to be sorted out, right? We're not, we, we can't ignore that the, there's reality to this, but some of that stuff is not so much a matter of trying to, to fix things. I think there's some folks that are probably approaching this as an opportunity to simply reverse their perceived grievances and become the oppressors that they're calling other people. And I think we need to be very careful. That's not meekness. As followers of Christ, we need to be aware of that and, and be honest about what's real and then also be aware of the fact that just like the biblical characters we hold up, people that do things that are good aren't always good in entirety. So we need to think about that. And I will say this too, and I mean this completely to everybody in this room, God does not let us off the hook. We can't just turn a blind eye to stuff like this, okay, to, to, the, to the actual injustices that are happening. Um, in Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, it says this. I think I have that up there. I do. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. We are not, as Christians, allowed to sit on the sidelines and watch. We need to stand up for what's right but we need to do it in a way that's Christ-like, okay? So consider how that looks in your life. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you you need to think about that, okay? Um, and it, look at it this way. If others speak up for those are, who are hurting, then those that are hurting can be meek. They can let other people do those things. If they don't get that, anyone speaking up for them, that produces a lot of what we see, the, the anger and the outrage, and, and I get it, I really do. Um, but even those who speak up need to be meek. They need to be approaching this in a Christ-like manner. Um, and and I'll, I'll close with this idea. I, I, in reading this stuff, there was a, a missionary in Jamaica that was talking to some little kids, and I thought this was an awesome uh, idea of what meekness means. 
Okay, this missionary was talking to some little kids, and he asked them, what does this mean? Matthew 5, 5, what does it mean to be meek? And one of the little kids says, he, the question was, who are the meek? And the, and the boy answered, those who give soft answers to rough questions. Not tough questions. There's a lot of questions that are hard to answer. Rough questions, aggressive, angry questions, right? Those who give soft answers to those. And the scripture is full of references to how soft angers turn away wrath, right? Full of it. So I thought that was awesome. And, and I think we should do well to remember how that child thought about meekness. That's a great way to look at it. So to wrap up here, uh, lots of times when we're, we're sitting in a, in a sermon or a, a Bible study or something like that, we can kind of let this stuff slide off our back because it doesn't really apply to us. I got to say in this one, this applies to everybody. Nobody can dodge this, right? Meekness, how you approach the world, your viewpoint of how do I matter versus other people. Whether you think you have power or not, you have that attitude, okay? So if we, if we look at meekness as power restrained, people might say, well, I don't have any power. Okay, but you got the ability to behave in a certain way. And, and in your interpersonal relationships with each other, at the least, and it's going to be more than that, but at the least, you are either going to be meek or you are going to be aggressive, right? So are you the person that's grabbing all you can all the time? Are you the person that's letting everybody have their way all the time? Now, if you answered yes to either of those, you're probably lying to yourself because none of us are that way all the time, right? Most of us do it right sometimes, do it wrong other times, okay? So the, the concept of how we're trying to get better here together is to do it right more times, to be aware of the fact that we have a choice to do that right or wrong, right? We can look at this and say, I'm going to look out for the other guy, or I'm going to look out for me. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's instinctive, right? It's just you respond. Well, I'm telling you, you don't get to just respond. you got to think, and you got to think about it ahead of time. Think about how you're going to be me. So in all that, remember, when we're out there deciding whether to grab for our own or look out for other people, our purpose is to let God take care of us. So as you... Let that swing around. When God's taking care of us, the grabbing your own can diminish and looking out for others can grow, right? So that's what I would challenge you to, right? Don't just take this as another time I went to church on Sunday, but this one's very real for all of us. We can't escape this. You, you might have been able to escape the idea of mourning because maybe you never lost anything in life. You might have been able to escape uh, poor in spirit because you have no idea of where your spirit is or anything like that. You cannot escape, whether you follow Christ or not, the fact that your approach to life is either meek or aggressive, right? Are you going to take or are you going to wait? That kind of thing. So I, I put that out there for you to uh, help you grow, right? That, that's my prayer for you, is that you would uh, take what we've learned today or what you've heard today, because maybe you knew a lot of this stuff, and apply it better, right? That, that's one of the challenges for, for those of us who've been around for a while is, is we forget that we can always apply it better than we do even if we feel like we're applying it pretty well. So everybody's got something to think about from this, I hope. Right? That's my plan. So let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll be all set. Okay? Lord, I thank you that you've uh, put us in a position to look at you and know that you'll take care of us. Lord, I pray that any here today who don't understand that will uh, be searching those things and try to find out how you, can, you, you will take care of us, you promised, and that, that can help them to... Uh, just the way they treat others and, and ultimately look at you, that they, they can be trusting you for all things, whether it be their spirit and their salvation or the daily things of life, that, that we can lean on you for all of those things. Lord, as we go forward from here, we ask that you would just uh, keep us safe in a time of strangeness and that you would uh, help us to share your word, to be able to be lights in the darkness and be able to uh, 
draw people to you with our, our kindness, our love, our love, and our meekness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.